sound familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. So you've just had your baby. Congratulations! Whether you are a first-time mom or this is your second or third time around, what happens during the third to sixth week after your baby is born can make an impact on your breastfeeding relationship. What are some common challenges that breastfeeding mothers face during weeks three through six postpartum? And what can you do to maximize your breastfeeding success? Today, we are featuring the fourth episode in our series, The New Breastfeeding Mom Manual. Our episode today focuses on breastfeeding during weeks three through six, and I'm thrilled to welcome back Ashley Treadwell to the show. Ashley is a private practice international board certified lactation consultant in San Diego, California. And this is The Boob Group, episode 102. Breast milk, it does a baby good. Silly daddy, boobs are for babies. I make milk, what's your superpower? If my breastfeeding offends you, put a blanket over your head. Dairy diva, don't be lactose intolerant. Nursing nature's own breast enhancement. Meals on heels. Whoever said there's no use crying over spilled milk, never had to pump. Breast milk, all udders are inferior. Whatever your point of view, we're here to support your breastfeeding goals. We're the boob group, because mothers know breast. Welcome to The Boob Group, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. The Boob Group is your weekly online on-the-go support group for all things related to breastfeeding. I'm your host, Robin Kaplan. I'm also an international board-certified lactation consultant and owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. Have you visited our website recently? Each of our episodes has its own page on our website full of a huge list of extra articles and resources for you to check out. So make sure that you check it out on one of the times that you're looking for some great Great new resources. Today, I am excited to welcome three panelists in our studio today. So, ladies, will you please introduce yourselves? I'm Miranda Harris. I have a two-year-old boy and a two-month-old girl, and I stay at home with them. Awesome. Thank you. I'm Melissa Lang Lytle. I am a birth doula and vice president of San Diego Birth Network. I have three boys. Uh, I have Milo with me, who's nine, um, actually just turned 10 weeks old, (laughs) I keep forgetting, and Benjamin, who's five, and Joseph, who's three. Awesome. I am Linnea Young. I have two kiddos. I have Charlotte, who will be two next month. Um, I have Sebastian with me, who is also 10 weeks, Um, and I, too, am a stay-at-home mom now. Awesome. And MJ, will you please introduce yourselves and our virtual panelist program? I'm MJ. I have a almost three-year-old son who I'm still nursing, 
And besides staying at home with him, I get to do this job, which is supporting mamas, and I love. Um, the virtual panelist program is, is really um, awesome, I think, because um, it's a way for you out there to join the conversation and be a part of the show, even if you can't be in the studio with us. Um, we, we post the same questions that our in-studio panelists are answering, so it's a way to share your experience, your opinions, or give tips. Um, moms are engaging and supporting each other and um, just empathizing. It's nice to know sometimes that you're not alone. Um, and we may even read your comment while we record. Uh, it's kind of a sneak preview of our show before it releases and because uh, we will post tips and info as we record. And uh, it's just uh, all around just supporting each other. So it's awesome. Um, check out theboobgroup.com under the community tab for more info on the VP program and possible perks for participation. Awesome. Thanks, MJ. You're welcome. <coughs> Sounds familiar. If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. So before we get started with the show, we're going to talk about um, an article that's just going around um, over the web, and this one is just absolutely amazing. So the title of it is World Record for Breast Milk Donation Broken by Indiana Mother's Milk Bank Donor. And so Amelia Boomker of Illinois has set the Guinness World Record for breast milk donation by gifting, get this, 16,000... 321 fluid ounces of milk to the Indiana Mother's Milk Bank. She made her donations between February 2008 and September 2013. Um, so her story is that she um, began pumping when her first son, Danny, was born with a congenital heart defect in 2005, and he was tube-fed for the first six months of life. And so the mom would, she would pump all the time. And so so she even started pumping and then after she had three more boys and so she pumped through all of them as well and so she donated over 16,000 fluid ounces so ladies what do you think about that I mean I'm just excited when someone donates a couple ounces and so <laughs> I think they should make her a saint she should get a day in Indiana that's you know, solely for her what a time commitment that is especially with the other kids good for her absolutely and one of the things, too, she credits, which is amazing, is that um, she attributes some of her breast milk production success to a flexible employer that lets her pump long-term on a consistent daily schedule. Awesome. So she was also a working mom as well. So As a donor, donor milk recipient, oh, my God. I mean, like you, I don't feel like I can thank my donor mamas enough. So it's, it's so awesome. It would be really neat to know the number of babies that she donated yeah. to. If they could somehow get like a picture of all of them together or something, that would be really yeah, cool. Yeah, such a positive story. Good I know. I'm hearing yeah. about more moms that are doing it and reaching out to one another and, and mm -hmm. using the benefits of, of breast milk. I think it's it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, way to go, Amelia. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. So today on the Boob Group, we're discussing breastfeeding during weeks three through six of baby's life. Our expert, Ashley Treadwell, is an international board certified lactation consultant with the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. Thanks for joining us again, Ashley, and welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Sure. So, Ashley, I love to start out each of these episodes of the series talking about what a mom can expect during this time period. So what does normal breastfeeding look like when baby's between three and six weeks? And how often does a baby feed and for typically how long? By six weeks, most moms and babies should have found their groove, but I always tell moms it's not expected, and especially at three weeks. At three weeks, it often looks like it did at week one and week two, and people are still figuring things out. Um, As they get closer to six weeks, it's common for babies to still need to feed every two to three hours. Um, Some of them at that early stage may become a little more efficient and may be able to stretch out that time in between, but don't worry if yours isn't. Um, Feeding's shouldn't take quite as long as they did in the really early days because babies have had a lot of practice. Mom's milk volume has increased. Um, So when at the beginning it may have been 45 minutes to an hour, now we're looking, you know, 30 minutes is probably a a decent amount of time. But always I tell moms to make sure you watch the baby and not the clock um, because all babies are different. Awesome. And what are typical sleep patterns now that baby's days and nights are hopefully not so mixed up anymore? Well, hopefully they're not mixed up. Um, At this time, babies start to have more awake times during the day, so moms may find that there's more time to interact with them, Um, whereas the two- to three-week-old babies are often sleeping in between feedings. As they get closer to six weeks, they may be awake more. At night, it's common for babies at this age and for quite a while to still eat throughout the night. So um, the sleeping through the night um, doesn't happen for a while for (laughs) many babies. (laughs) Um, So it's common for them to wake up even still every two to three hours to eat. Uh, Some babies might start to do a longer stretch, um, you know, three to four hours. They usually do it at the first part of the evening. Um, So while the four hours isn't very useful to you because it's from 7 to 11, it's still four (laughs) hours of sleep. Um, And then they'll go back and do every two to three hours. Um, At this point, too, nighttime feedings are usually um, very calm. um, And so it's, it's often easy for babies to wake, feed, and then go right back to sleep. Whereas in the beginning, they wake up and they want to party. All night long. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Ashley, what does a baby's typical weight gain look at this age? Um, and what are the best ways to ensure that baby's getting enough since most families probably don't see their pediatrician or their midwife until baby, or may not see their midwife again, but their, their pediatrician until their baby's, you know, two months old. Sure. Um, so weight gain at this point looks like it did at the beginning. We're looking for a baby to gain um, four to seven ounces a week, which works out to about a quarter pound to a half pound per week. Um, and this goes on until about month four, and that's when that starts to slow down, um, and we don't expect quite that weight gain. We wouldn't want them to gain weight at that <laughs> level for a long time. Um, and as far as um, knowing how much um, that a baby, or being able to feel comfortable that your baby's getting enough, there are a few ways to do that. The first is um, output, pees and poops, as long as the baby's having plenty of um, dirty diapers and wet diapers, um, a baby who's meeting their ma- milestones, a baby who seems satisfied after feeding, you know, will go for an hour or two or three. Um, 
always want to remind moms that there is that cluster feeding period of time in the evening where the baby is going to want to eat every 20 minutes and it doesn't mean your supply is low. It's just a normal baby behavior. Um, another really good resource for women are support groups. Um, San Diego has a million free support groups available um, where there will always be a scale. And so moms can come and they can track the baby's weight um, when they're not seeing their pediatrician. Awesome. All right, ladies in the studio. So did you notice that your baby's patterns became a little bit more predictable once they hit this kind of three to six weeks? And um, did your baby's nighttime feedings get a little bit easier? How about you, Melissa? You want to start? You know, with each baby, it's it's such a different relationship. So I forgot all about like what you call it, the witching hour or yeah. the, that time at dusk when I feel like the cluster feeding became, you know, oh, yeah, this 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 is happening. <laughs> but around, you know, I'd say week three, week four, we started getting our groove again. But then, you know, my babies have those growth spurts. So I really do love the fact that you say, watch the baby, not the clock, because that's really worked for us. In fact, several times my midwife would ask me, how's your feeding? How long is he feeding? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just feeding. Yeah. <laughs> so that makes me happy. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Linnea? Predictable, no. <laughs> I mean, my almost two-year-old's still not predictable <laughs> with how often she'll want to nurse, but um, nights are easier, yeah. I think it's more, like you said, getting into your groove. Um, we have the positions that are more comfortable to us down by about that point, and um, we're able to go back to sleep a little quicker, and that makes makes your day better when your nights go a little smoother. Absolutely. How about you, Miranda? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say predictable, because I feel like the first six weeks is like a constant growth spurt <laughs> but it, it was definitely easier at that point how about your nights any easier by any user during the night uh well with my first it took me a long time to figure out how to nurse laying down mm-hmm. but with her like from the very first night I didn't have to get up unless I was changing her diaper awesome but around like a month I think she stopped pooping at night so I don't have to change diapers anymore <laughs> <laughs> so your nights have gotten fantastic yeah <laughs> very cool All right, Ashley, if breastfeeding is going well, is now a good age to introduce a bottle if parents are interested? And if if they are, how does mom get milk for this first bottle? It is. This is actually the perfect time to introduce a bottle. We usually recommend um, once that two-week growth spurt is done, so somewhere between three and five weeks is a good time to introduce a bottle. Um, And I tell moms to pick one time a day to pump um, so that they can gather up enough milk to have a bottle. Morning time is usually the easiest. Um, We're most full in the morning. And often if partner works, you know, a typical job, then they're home in the morning, so you have an extra set of hands. Um, So tell mom to start pumping after a feeding for 10 to 15 minutes and start putting that milk away. It may take three or four days to build up um, a whole bottle. A bottle at that stage would probably need to be, you know, two to three ounces. And so now that mom actually has two to three ounces in a bottle, who should give the baby the bottle? And what tips do you have for offering a bottle to a breastfed baby? It's usually best for it to be somebody other than mom. Most babies associate breastfeeding with mom, and so they're more likely to refuse a bottle. Um, I tell my moms that it has to be dad, and it has to be at 2 a.m. So (laughs) first one has to be. And it's so funny how many of them look at me and go, oh, okay. (laughs) And I'm not going to tell them I'm kidding. (laughs) So some tips for offering the bottle. Um, We usually recommend that it's somebody other than mom. Um, what's really important, especially in these early days, is to slow down the bottle feeding. We want the bottle feeding to mimic a breastfeeding session as much as possible. Um, bottles are often much faster than breastfeeding, and women don't or babies don't have to work as much at them. So um, we want to mimic the breastfeeding session by slowing it down. 
I usually even tell my moms to mimic the letdown. So let the baby suck on an empty nipple for, you know, 30, 45 seconds, because at the breast, they have to do that before the milk starts flowing. Um, anytime a baby gets a bottle, mom should pump to replace that feeding. We want your breast to think that the, the feeding came from you. Um, we recommend for the, that first bottle or two to not pump until you have the all clear um, from dad, as Robin has found out. Um, sometimes the babies may not take the bottle the first time. And so if you hand the baby in the bottle over, go back and pump and then come back out and the baby won't take it. You have a hungry baby and empty breasts. Um, so and then we do recommend then after that, though, that mom pumps every time baby gets a bottle. Cool. And what are your recommendations for frequency of offering a bottle? Does this differ between moms who are staying at home compared to moms who might return to work later? Um, I don't think it differs, really. I think um, if you want the baby to have a bottle, whether it's because you're going back to work or whether it's a stay-at-home mom who may want to get out of the house um, from time to time, I think it's important to keep the bottle as part of a regular routine. Uh, What a lot of parents will do is between weeks three and week five, they introduce the bottle baby takes the bottle they say great and then mom is home whether she's on maternity leave or she's an at-home mom and they don't really need bottles and then if mom's returning to work somewhere around week nine or ten they say oh we should probably start giving the baby bottles again and then the baby at that point has forgotten what a bottle is it's totally unfamiliar Um, they lose their suck reflex so they're no longer going to suck on anything that you put in their mouth and now you have a panicked mom who's going back to work in a few weeks um, whose baby won't take a bottle so I think it's good to keep it as a regular routine either once a day once every other day. It's a nice time for dad to be involved. I know a lot of dads really look forward to the bottles because they get to be involved in the feeding. Um, So it can be a really nice routine. And I think moms should also take that time to maybe do something for themselves because it's important to work that into your routine as well. Cool. Ladies, did you offer your baby a bottle during this time period? And if so, how'd it go? Lene, how about you? Um, I did. And um, with my first, not, not so well. She wasn't a big fan of the bottle. And, um, we didn't push it. I was really worried. You know, I hadn't breastfed before, so I was really worried. I didn't know if I pushed it, if it would become a routine. And um, because we were successful breastfeeding her, I wasn't as worried with him. Um, and he seemed to take one um, a lot easier. We didn't have, I've never had an issue pumping, but we didn't have any um, any rejection issues with the bottle with him. He doesn't take one very often, but it's nice if I sleep in and he starts fussing for food that Darren doesn't have to wake me up yeah. and <laughs> bring him in. Absolutely. How about you, Melissa? We didn't. We, I, I didn't do it at all. And, you know, there's times that I'm really proud of myself and happy for what decisions we've made. And then there's, of course, all those times where I, I wish I would have introduced the bottle. But, you know, I am I feel lucky enough that I'm with all, all my babies at all the time. So feeding on demand is just really more or less the relationships that we've created. Very cool. And I've had the luxury of being able to do that as well. Awesome. How about you, Miranda? I still haven't given her a bottle, and I've only pumped like once so far. I had a lot of uh, nipple confusion and latch issues with my first, so I've just been really careful, and I don't don't really plan to use bottles at all. Okay. All right, ladies. Well, thank you. Um, All right. When we come back, Ashley will discuss tips for surviving the witching hour, symptoms of colic, and how to venture out into the realm of nursing in public. We'll be right back. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Well, welcome back to the show. We're here with Ashley Treadwell, an international board certified lactation consultant with the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. And we are talking about breastfeeding your baby between weeks three and six. So Ashley, I definitely remember the witching hour starting for my boys between weeks three and four. What is witching hour? or How would you describe it? And um, how do babies typically act during this fun time? Oh, the witching hour. We also <laughs> call it the unhappy hour. Um, and I'll tell you, my kids are three and six years old and we still still have the witching hour. The, I yeah. mean, the, the hours from four to I'm seven hungry. are miserable. They, I mean, that's what, so what babies do during this time is they want to eat frequently. They're really fussy. They cry a lot. And my three and six-year-old do the same thing. <laughs> well, um, there's sundowner syndrome, you know? Yes. So even old, older adults, that same time period, it's, yeah. it's amazing. We're all grumpy. I think we all just yeah. deal with it as, as adults. Exactly. You know, well, and I think that's exactly what the witching hour is, actually, is that as we get older, we learn how to sort of shut ourselves down from overstimulation, and babies often can't. They are completely overstimulated from their days, and they have no way to shut down. Um, they're super fussy. They want to eat frequently, but then it also seems like they don't want to eat. And so, you know, moms will say, well, the baby went on, and they fed for five minutes, and then they came off, and then 10 minutes later, they were acting hungry again. And the best thing you can do is just keep putting the baby back to breast. Um, you know, some reasons for this, I think, are the overstimulation. Um, our supply is the lowest in the afternoon. It doesn't mean that it's too low, but it is low from being um, from feeding all day. And so babies often have to nurse more frequently um, to get as much as they need. And there's also some thought that they may be tanking up on some calories so that they can then give you that, you know, three or four hour sleep. Um, so, I mean, the best thing you can do is keep offering the baby the breast, even if it seems like he doesn't want it. Um, it's, you know, that will keep him the most calm. Okay. And what other tips do you have um, besides latching baby back on to help your baby go through the witching hour period? Um, and if so, you know, how can you manage this fussy time? <laughs> I think the best thing that I found for both of my kids was wearing them. I just found that that time of day was I had a sling and they would both go into the sling as soon as they started showing the signs because that even if they were crying, they were at least with me. And oftentimes it would put them to sleep. I found that I could get them to sort of sleep and manage through that time. Um, you know, there are other things that you can do um, to sort of take you out of the house. If maybe going for a walk or a drive soothes the baby, that's a good idea. Um, you know, I think having your partner, if your partner's home at this time, I think it's sometimes good just to hand the baby off. Um, Crying can be incredibly stressful for moms and not as much as dads. So sometimes it's good dad and, and if, if or partner, if your partner has been at work, they have sort of a fresh eye. Um, starting an evening routine at this point might be good. Um, you know, a bath or book, something like that. I love that you said wearing your baby because one of the things I feel like I survived is the witching hour also seems to coincide with if you have other kids or you're it's making the, dinner, it's, it's the, the only busiest way you can. time of the day as well. And I think especially when you have, um, you know, second and third children, I think sometimes that can overstimulate them as well because it's when everybody's coming home from school and work. Um, another really good tip that a good friend of mine gave me many years ago was to prep dinner at 10 o'clock in the morning um, so that you don't, if it gets to be five o'clock in the afternoon, your baby's losing their mind. You're not worried about how am I going to get dinner on the table. Um, so that can really help as well. Use your crock pot. Um, and ask for help. I think, you know, a lot of times we think that we have to bear the brunt of this time, and we don't. 
Another thing too I like to remember as well is that it's very temporary. Uh, well, temp- well, although it, we're talking about that, our, right? Our, but you it's know, different. Our, my seven and eight year old still have witching hour, yeah. but it's very different. Yes. You know, now I feel like here's a snack, go take it down a notch. Right. Um, but <laughs> but um, but the the really intense witching time, which um, I find you know last last the first couple months, and then the overstimulation, like I mean, they feel like you've taken them to Disneyland every single day. The ceiling fan. Yeah, the ceiling you know? fan is really <laughs> exciting, um, and so. So, you know, by the time they hit three months, it tends to kind of, they they actually kind of seek out that excitement to look at, too, and it's not so upsetting. So, ladies, how do you guys su- survive the witching hour period and, you know, what what helped you through it? Linnea, how about you? How about I'm your st- kiddos? I'm still struggling to survive the yeah. witching hour time period. I think... Uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head that it's our witching hour, too. So I always seem to have the least amount of patience uh, during that time, which makes me feel awful. Um, but definitely, like you guys said, wearing um, wearing my babies are kind of how I survive all of the difficult uh, parenting challenges. Um, keeps them a lot calmer and reminds me a lot of the things that you love about being a mom. You know, they're right there and you get to stare at their sweet face and... Smell that sweet baby smell. Exactly. <laughs> How about you, Melissa? I, I would say the same thing. I, I don't know if there are moms out there that don't baby wear. It, it's like the the best thing I could ever, in terms of advice or something to share with them that I can give them. Not only can you survive the witching hour, but that baby close to your breast is helping milk production. I mean, there's so many benefits to baby wearing. Also, if you have other little ones and you didn't prep dinner at 10 a.m., mm-hmm. <laughs> you're kind of scrambling to make dinner and... With both hands, needing both hands, uh, you know, that helps me survive yet. And baby's close to me, so if he's cluster feeding, I can feed him in the carrier. And all the things that we have to do sometimes with multitasking during that time where we all like to sit down and take a breather. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I do have to confess, too, because I feel so guilty listening to you all cook dinner. I probably (laughs) haven't cooked dinner (laughs) since I got pregnant with the second baby. My (laughs) husband does all the cooking. Good for you. <laughs> That's asking for help. And you get it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. How about you, Miranda? Uh, I haven't cooked very much either since <laughs> I got pregnant. My husband is really helpful, and I mean, he might not do things the way I want him to, but at least he's helping. <laughs> and so, if he if he's home in the evening, usually he would rather cook and clean than hold a crying baby that he can't feed. So, yeah. Usually, I will just you know, walk around with her, wear her, maybe bounce on my birth ball, go for a walk, um, just watch TV and feed her. Yeah. Well, I think you mentioned, really hit something on the head too, was that, I mean, I remember handing off my kids to my husband, but... Micromanaging they, the whole thing. Well, no, not only that, he, they, he, he could, he was the baby whisperer any other time of the day and night, except during witching hour. Like they just needed to be on me. And so those couple hours in the carrier, just letting them sleep on me, even, I would never even take them out, you know, because unless I had to change a diaper or something, because um, it just, I don't, they needed to smell me for some reason, which I'm sure I didn't smell that good, but you know, <laughs> to them they did. Yeah. It's, it's true. Yeah. So, okay. So, Ashley. So speaking of the witching hour, I, a lot of times that's confused with colic. And so what what's the difference between the two and what are some symptoms of colic and what often causes that type of fussiness? Um, so the witching hour is normal fussiness that happens during the day or in the evening time when baby's overstimulated and tired and wants to eat more often. Colic is, there's actually a definition for colic um, that I think if when 
moms, if you look at it in comparison to the witching hour, it's very different. Um, colic is defined as of bouts of crying for three or more hours um, for more than three days a week for more than three weeks in a row. Um, there are times when the witching hour, you may feel like your baby's been crying for three hours, but I think if you, know, if you timed it, you might find that they're not. Um, colic, there isn't, you know, we don't have definitive um, information on what causes colic. Um, it can be um, discomfort, um, intestinal discomfort due to food allergies, or if a baby has a lip tie or tongue tie, that can cause them some um, intestinal discomfort as well. Um, but a colicky baby is one who will seem incredibly uncomfortable. Um, more than just the crying, they, they seem uncomfortable. They may draw their legs up. Um, and it's that, I think it's the regularity of it that really sets it apart from the witching hour. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so now let's switch over to nursing in public. And I do want to mention that all of the three panelists on our, <laughs> in our show today are second-time moms. So you might have to remember a little bit with your first-time one, because I remember, I mean, I was nursing my second child, I think we were at a restaurant. He's a week old, and I was like, "Let's do it," but um, but I definitely was not that comfortable yet at a week postpartum with my first. So, but Ashley, what um, what are your top five tips for nursing in public during this early time period, getting mom's confidence up? Um, one great idea is to practice at home in front of the mirror. A lot of moms worry about um, sort of being discreet or not being discreet. And I think if you practice in front of the mirror, you'll see that you really are not showing that much. There's very little that it, that's exposed. Um, the nursing tanks are really nice because then they cover everything. Um, I know for me, what always made me more uncomfortable was pulling up my shirt and having my stomach and my my back exposed <laughs> as my three-year-old when I was doing it one day walked up and said mom part of your side is sticking out let me put it back in for you and I was like oh thanks that's a muffin top <laughs> um, so the the tanks um, offer a lot of coverage um, choose someplace sort of semi-public um, and places like Babies R Us have like rooms that you can go to so while you're in public you're not actually in public um, so that can be kind of a bridge um, at Nordstrom's I know they have the little rooms outside of their bathroom so you're not nursing in the bathroom but they have couches and it's kind of a nice little seating area um Wearing your baby in nursing um, can really be helpful as well because you, you very rarely have to expose much at all. Um, and we have a ton of um, baby wearers in San Diego. We have a huge support group. Um, and I know that there are moms that will be happy to teach women because I know that can seem sort of um, overwhelming at first, trying to nurse in a carrier. Um, and then a, a breastfeeding support group is another place um, that can be incredibly safe um, and a good introduction to nursing in public because, again, you're in public, but you're surrounded by other nursing moms. Absolutely. Ladies, did you nurse your babies in public between ages three and six weeks? And were you nervous or have any good tips for mamas? Miranda, how about you? Um, I was definitely nervous the first time around. And, you know, I tried using a cover, but it's really just too much trouble for me. And I felt like it drew more attention to me. And so eventually I got comfortable enough and maybe I would like wear a tank top under my shirt and pull the, the top shirt up. Um, this time I am not very nervous at all. <laughs> like sometimes I nurse her in the carrier or sometimes I even like if we're at Costco, how they have chairs out and stuff, I just sit down and nurse her. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Make use of the furniture aisle. <laughs> Make your own nursing station. Exactly. How about you, Melissa? Grade six weeks, I you know, I, sometimes we got to do what we got to do. Nursing in public hasn't been a problem since the first baby because, like Miranda, I kind of got 
comfortable and then figured it out that this cover thing wasn't going to work and it kept my baby hot and then I was more nervous and anxious and I didn't want to give him that so we got our groove and then from the second baby on it was just like here are my breasts because I've got to feed my baby (laughs) but I feel like weeks three and six is still so new that Mm -hmm. you're kind of getting your groove in general so if you're doing chores um it's not as often as as when they're a little bit older you know Mm-hmm. A lot of mine was done in restaurants at that point. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't necessarily parks, nursing. Yeah, especially for my oh, second. Oh yeah, for second one. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> when you have an older kid, that baby's nursing a park all oh, the yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> you have to get out. <laughs> exactly. How about you, Linnea? I think with the first one, my biggest struggle was the fumbling around and you know trying to get a comfortable position and you know that's all so much more important with your first one is being in the right position and you're both kind of still learning each other. Um, and I, I was really adamant that I wanted to be comfortable nursing in public because I believe everybody should be. But that doesn't make it necessarily easy when it's still it's still you and you're still kind of apprehensive of what other people um, are thinking and looking. But I one of you guys mentioned the support groups. That is a really good way to get comfortable nursing around other people because you're all there for the same reason. You're all doing the same thing. Um, and you could kind of, you know, learn your different comfortable positions in front of people that aren't judging you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ashley, if if a baby is still having latching challenges during this time period, is it too late to fix it? And what would if it's not, what would be some ways to improve a baby's latch at this age? Sure. No, it's definitely not too late. Um, I think the, the most important thing is to find out why the baby isn't latching correctly. Um, is it something that's going on anatomically with the baby? Is the baby tongue-tied? Um, sometimes, depending on labor and birth, babies can have problems um, latching um, if they had a, a particularly long birth. Um, some things that can help a baby who's not latching at this point, um, we love body work for babies, either craniosacral therapy or chiropractic care, can really help to work on loosening sort of all the muscles that are involved with breastfeeding, so the jaw, the back of the neck, they can help with the tongue. Sometimes they actually do work inside the mouth um, to help mom, to help baby get a better latch. Okay, cool. And if a mom is having a challenge with her milk supply during this time period, has she missed her window for increasing her supply? Um, she hasn't. I, I think um, the, what's important for that question is it depends on the reason that her milk supply is low. If it's something in her medical history, um, you know, that that is not able to be affected, then it, her supply may be what it is. But if there are other reasons, um, you know, there are definitely ways to increase your supply. Um, the stimulation in the early days is very important, but even if it was missed, it doesn't mean that mom can't boost her supply later. Um, it is important to determine why it's low, whether it's something with the baby. If the baby isn't efficiently demanding the milk, then mom's supply will respond. Um, and then, you know, or also to make sure that it isn't something with mom. Um, Things you can do to boost a supply at this point, um, the best thing you can do is lots of time at the breast, lots of breast stimulation. If it is a baby that isn't maybe being super efficient, then we'll recommend additional stimulation with a pump. Um, There are a lot of herbal supplements that you can take to help increase your your supply. There are actually prescription medications that are available as well. Um, Body work for mom as well. We have um, acupuncture we love. We see a lot of moms who have great um, results with acupuncture. Um, I think the most important thing is to meet with um, a a lactation consultant to determine what the reason for the low supply is. Okay. Thanks, Ashley. And then lastly, our panelists. So what what have you noticed have been the biggest differences um, between those first 
first two weeks and now, well, and your babies are all even just a little bit past the three, the six week mark, but what did, how did you notice that it just got better? So Melissa, how about you? Um, they're, they're growing a little bit more. So maybe their mouths are just slightly bigger in my, my, we've gotten our rhythm. So maybe my breasts are not so engorged. So they're having to latch their mouth onto a, a hardened <laughs> big breast, you yeah. know? Um, and I think, just even even after my my third son was born it's like relearning everything and i think by weeks 3 through 6 you're just starting to get your groove and it's it's not necessarily easy um because you're working with less sleep than still fumbling a little bit and i can't recall names or or do things but i feel like we're in sync yeah so that feels nice you know absolutely how about you linnea yeah, you, you, everything's a little bit slightly more comfortable. You know, you're not, well, I'm technically still all milky and spray because of my <laughs> letdown, but you know, you're not quite as overwhelmed with your milk coming in. You're, um, more, con- like she said, more connected with your baby. It's kind of, it becomes that nice time to sit and relax and stare at your baby rather than worrying about how they're latching and what they're doing and how much they're eating. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot sweeter, I think. Yeah. How about you, Miranda? Uh, I, I agree that you're more in sync with your baby and you kind of figure out their their fussy times and if they just need to nurse through it and like pop on and off a bunch of times and you just keep putting them back and you know that's just normal and there's nothing wrong. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, I remember too, I think, or especially with my first right around six weeks, the first six weeks were such a blur and then he started to socially smile and that like... It made it all worth it. Yeah, like all of a sudden I was like, all right, we got we got this. Like it just all of a sudden he recognized me. I felt like he finally recognized me as his mom, and it was a game changer. So I remember six weeks being pretty phenomenal. Yeah, or when it's your first baby, like you're questioning everything. So like, you know, after you get past that first couple of weeks, you know, like you're starting to feel comfortable with the things that you're doing and not like, oh my God, am I doing this right? Exactly. <laughs> what Although am I doing? I think I still do that all the time. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, you, then yeah. you're questioning a whole new set of yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> Breastfeeding you may be feeling better about, but now it's something else. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, and to our panelists for sharing this wonderful information about breastfeeding a baby during um, his or her third through sixth week. And for our Boob Group Club members, our conversation will continue after the end of the show as Ashley will discuss tips for moms to get enough calories during this time period. For more information about our Boob Group Club, please visit our website at theboobgroup.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, Boob Group listeners. I'm Lara Dello, a certified lactation educator, the retail marketing manager at Best for Babes, and owner of Mama Pear Designs. Today, we're here to talk about how you can achieve your personal breastfeeding goals without being undermined by cultural and institutional booby traps. Let's examine whether or not your hospital provided you with enough access to an IBCLC. It's a common complaint. I really needed help. I asked to see a lactation consultant, but she never came. Not all breastfeeding problems require someone with the training and skills of an international board-certified lactation consultant, 
but many do. And research has demonstrated that having the assistance of one makes a big difference in mom's ability to meet their breastfeeding goals. So why do so many moms say that they waited in vain for an IBCLC's help? In 2010, the United States Lactation Consultants Association released guidelines for lactation consultants staffing in different hospital settings, and it cited a paper suggesting that 71% of mothers require the assistance of an IBCLC. Research shows that we're falling short of the recommendation that hospital staff one IBCLC for every 1,000 deliveries. The USLCA indicates that there's a shortage of IBCLCs in hospitals and that many hospitals don't even provide holiday coverage. That may explain why moms report asking for but not getting to see a lactation consultant. Until the optimal staffing becomes reality, remember that feedback matters. If you were unsatisfied with your access to IBCLCs at your hospital or any other part of your breastfeeding care, write to your hospital. This kind of feedback is taken very seriously and could go a long way in making a difference for the moms who choose to give birth at that facility in the future. A special thank you to Tanya Lieberman, IBCLC, for writing the Booby Trap series for Best for Babes. Visit bestforbabes.org for more great information about how to meet your personal breastfeeding goals. And my business, mamapairdesigns.com, for breastfeeding supportive wearables. And be sure to listen to the Boob Group for fantastic conversations about breastfeeding and breastfeeding support. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to The Boob Group. Don't forget to check out our sister shows, Preggy Pals for Expecting Parents, our show Parent Savers for Moms and Dads with Newborns, Infants, and Toddlers, and Twin Talks for Parents of Multiples. Thanks for listening to The Boob Group, your judgment-free breastfeeding resource. This has been a new Mommy Media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, Please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. New Mommy Media is expanding our lineup of shows for new and expecting parents. If you have an idea for a new series, or if you're a business or organization interested in joining our network of shows through a co-branded podcast, visit newmommymedia.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.